0: Tribe today we have a special guest from Scotland today and I'm so excited to bring Tom Morton on board to our show today Um, well welcome your backup plan tribe today to a very important interview that we have going today If you are new here to our channel, please like, share and subscribe to our channel right down here. I've got it straight this time. Where is it? There, right down there. There's a subscribe button to the channel and please like it or share it with your friends and family as well. If you are new here, welcome. My name is Tina Ginn. I am an emergency preparedness coach, a best-selling author, a financial expert and an app developer of your backup plan app and I'm located here in beautiful Vancouver BC a special beautiful day today with sunshine we can always enjoy that during the COVID times I interview real life people each and every week with their real life stories Um, sometimes current events in the news sometimes tips and tricks from our special guests and um whatever else I feel like posting on our podcast and our live streams. Um, Be sure to hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends and family. Your backup plan app puts your life all in one place in preparation for any unpredictable circumstance, whatever that might be, while taking the painful aftermath out of that tragedy. Yes and today we're taking the taboo out of death uh, and we have a special guest here today and I'll just bring him on. Welcome welcome Tom.
1: Hello Tina it's lovely to be with you.
0: Oh awesome this is Tom Morton and he's a writer and a broadcaster and he's coming to us today from Scotland. And I am i just don't have that wonderful accent that you have.
1: <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people in Canada do have a little bit of a Scottish inflection to their accent, yes. I think. And that aboot, which I always yes. love hearing Canadians say, comes from Scotland. Yes. I'm, in, I'm in the Shetland Islands, by the way, which is about 200 miles north of Scotland, just almost halfway between Scotland and Norway, but still Scottish.
0: Oh, nice. A little cold today, you said, so... Um, We're a bit cold here in Vancouver today too, Um, but hey, it's a a pandemic, and I think that's where it's a beautiful time to talk about what you are all about, and I only have one of your books down below in the description box, but I understand you have written other books as well. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about your life story.
1: Okay, well, I've been a journalist and broadcaster in Scotland for a long time, several decades, basically retired now. And the reason I retired uh, after working for BBC Radio Scotland mostly and writing several books, Not many of them about the whiskey industry, actually, uh, which may have been one of the contributory factors to what led me to retire, which was uh, a couple of heart attacks. And in the course of recovering from that, Uh, I began to think because I'd been quite close to death uh, because of those uh, events, I began to think a lot more about death and my attitude towards it and also how I could use the skills that I had as a communicator in that context. And it all culminated in being asked to do the eulogy at a friend's funeral. uh, And that in turn, through a series of events led me to become a funeral celebrant.
0: And is that common in Scotland or England?
1: Well, it's uh, when I say a funeral celebrant, what I'm really saying is a non-religious funeral celebrant, somebody who will take a funeral without necessarily including... indications that you might be bound for heaven or hell. Uh, And there is a demand for that. A lot of people would say, oh, well, you're a humanist celebrant, Uh, you're, but that's not necessarily the case um, because I'm more than happy to include religious elements in the funeral services that I put together for people. But it is becoming more and more common, less and less the case, uh, certainly in Scotland and in England, that people want a religious service.
0: And why is that? I think
1: it's just a a, a kind of general um, moving away from religion. I mean, we're engaged, for example, in the community I live in, we're engaged in a battle to save the biggest building in the community, which is a disused church. Uh, And the Church of Scotland is selling off the Church of Scotland, which is a Presbyterian church. The National Church in Scotland is selling off many, many of its buildings because the congregations have dwindled to almost nothing and they can't recruit ministers, because people basically have lost faith. And I suppose the kind of funerals that I do are for people who have decided to live in a non-religious way, or perhaps they just can't be bothered dealing with religion or don't want those elements and symbols in their afterlife.
0: And, um, of course, it brings you to the subject of people preparing for what is it they want Because if it's not a religious factor organizing it for them, what kind of celebration or funeral do they want in their mind? And I think that's where even your family members might not know what it is that you want.
1: Well, even if your family members have an idea of what what you might have wanted, it can be a very difficult time for them because... They are full of grief, the emotions are running very high and actually working out the details of a funeral service can be a very difficult thing for them. And that's why, um, although I encourage people, uh, if they want to, to take in hand those funeral services and especially during COVID-19, especially during the pandemic, uh, that has been something which I think a lot of people have done online. So they've had their own online services. Uh, but despite that, there is often just a need for somebody to come in from outside, a professional who's not affected necessarily by that sense of loss, who's not overwhelmed by the the trauma of the situation and provide services which perhaps the family don't feel they can provide.
0: And I think people don't realise when, when the push comes to shove, so to speak, when when it actually happens whether you've been prepared for that loved one or you haven't it it's a trauma that i always tell people it takes your it's like it takes your head or your emotions take over and you can't think straight it's very unusual
1: absolutely and no matter how tough you think you are and no matter how well you think you're dealing with it The subconscious is an incredibly powerful thing, and it's working away all the time in the background. You may feel that you have coped remarkably well. You may feel calm. You may feel in control. But then suddenly the most odd little things can provoke an emotional meltdown. You can find yourself thinking, oh, well, I'll be absolutely fine. I'll be able to speak at this funeral service. And then, and I've seen people do this, stand up and just crumble away because they the enormity of the situation, of their loss, has overcome them.
0: And I think it's, um, it's, it's like it's real. It just hits them.
1: Well, there's nothing more real than death. And I think the, the idea uh, that we can wander through life and ignore what is an inevitable end for all of us is a kind of self-delusion, really, isn't it? I mean, yeah. we, we spend all our time, and I refer to this in the book, because the book is, as well, it tolls for the, as well as being a memoir and as well as being a series of, um, you know, instructions, if you like, is also quite funny. Uh, but I think we spend a lot of time Running. I mean, that the idea of this obsessive fitness regime that so many people have—going to the gym, running for miles, breaking their shin bones with endless ultra marathons—in an effort to stay alive and to to stave off this notion that we're going to die. But we are all going to die. We might die young, we might die old, but we are all going to die. And preparing for it isn't an admission of defeat. And it's not something that's going to encourage it to happen more quickly. It's like making a will. We all should make wills because that's a responsible thing to do. And it's responsible to prepare for our own deaths in the sense of being responsible for the loved ones who are going to have to deal with it when we are not there.
0: And people don't realize what they actually have to deal with when they're not there.
1: Yeah, well, the practicalities uh, vary from country to country and from state Mm -hmm. to state, and uh, obviously there are those wonderful people, undertakers, uh, people who are on funeral homes, who will help you and should be the best and most helpful uh, comrades in that situation. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, some uh, big undertaking companies are commercial institutions which can often... I'm sad to say take advantage of the grief and the emotional difficulties that someone's going through. But a good undertaker is a treasure, and there are many of them about, and they will help. And finding a good undertaker, I think, is probably the first thing that Andy should think of doing.
0: Well, exactly, beforehand. Because I find um, I've taken quite a few clients into a funeral home holding their hand, and helping them and guide them through those questions that they get asked, because there's like a thousand questions, and um, and they don't want to continue buying things, but they well, want, right. but they want to have a normalcy to and and give that respect to the person who's passed away. So and I it's, think there's
1: a there's a sorry to interrupt, but I think yeah. there's a thing there that relationship where. Perhaps people think that if they buy more, spend more money, they're grieving better, that they're actually doing more justice to their beloved person. And that is a, a thing which some undertakers can take advantage of. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. Having somebody who can say, no, no, you don't have have to have that lead lined scarlet coffin made of titanium.
0: <laughs> with velvet.
1: <laughs> with That's right, with velvet.
0: <laughs> and gold gold lining.
1: You don't have to have. You don't have to have horse-drawn, glass-fronted hearses. You don't have to have, you know, enormous bouquets of flowers spelling out the names of the people. All that kind of thing.
0: Well, I know in my area a funeral plot, and not everyone gets buried these days, but a funeral plot runs about twenty thousand dollars Canadian. Wow! Really? And well, I can a, tell you, <laughs> and the state, which is a plot that um, you can bury up to um, six people and sometimes eight depends on the size of the estate. Those run about $120,000.
1: Okay. Well, I can tell you that my wife and I, uh, and there's a little video about this on uh, my YouTube channel, um, have bought uh, plots for ourselves in the beautiful um Asianus. Uh, cemetery which is near us here in the Shetland islands and uh, we have bought those plots for it's a double plot mm. so we don't have to both die at the same time obviously um but we'll at any given time we could both be buried there uh, 500 pounds which is probably what i don't know i
0: think it's about 800 dollars canadian That's or something
1: right. 700 800 dollars canadian maybe
0: 900 or 1000 dollars us
1: And the total cost of a funeral in Shetland would be, you know, an average everyday funeral with the additional cost of the burial might be £2,000. So that would be $3,000 or something like
0: that. That isn't here for a burial. Um, Maybe for cremation ceremony, it would be roughly that.
1: I think during COVID, there's also been a... the whole because of the, the huge number of people who are dying, there has been a change in, in perception of what is required or what um, you know is wanted. and also what's called direct cremation in this country, which is the unattended cremation. In other words, just the body being burnt and turned to ashes is, is becoming more and more coffin, uh, more and more um, common and obviously that's a lot cheaper.
0: Yeah, cremations becoming more popular here. Um, And then they'll have a choice of taking it home with them, or possibly um, putting it into a um, an earnment having an earnment for them somewhere in a cemetery. Um, So it gives them a few different choices of what it is that they want.
1: Absolutely, and there's a whole lot of other options as well. Green burial, um, there is the uh, kind of hydration uh, thing where you can be liquefied after death. It is important, I suppose, to get it worked out in your head what you don't want to happen to your body because it can appear a little shocking. But at the end of the day, uh, I think we have to think and we should be thinking about what's good for the planet. And one of the things I've been looking at recently is... uh, green burial in Scotland and there there are remarkably few sites where that happens but there is uh, one particularly beautiful um, green burial site uh, which is next to a, a castle in Ayrshire oh. and uh, it is just absolutely beautiful and the idea that you can plant, you can choose Um, the trees that you want planted around your grave or the flowers that you want seeded there every year I think is rather lovely and uh, will appeal to a lot of people.
0: That would be nice. Um, What about celebrations? Uh, You know, have you had, since 2020, is there a difference in the celebrations?
1: Well yeah absolutely, um, there have been severe restrictions on uh, on the kind of things that you can do and initially during the first lockdown it was graveside services only uh, certainly. Um, there have has been a bit of a relaxation, I think we're now up to 20 or 30 people allowed uh, socially distanced in a church or hall and uh, the last funeral I did was in a public hall with just immediate family, up to about 20 people. And it was pretty much like an ordinary funeral, Um, though, again, there was that sense of the way that the pandemic has impinged in all our lives. I think just it affects people so much that you can't embrace, um, you can't really touch each other and offer that kind of comfort. And, I, I mean, I can't help feeling that that loss of physical contact is something that we're going to pay a price for in the future. You know that? Because, <laughs> you know, if you were brought up like me, the whole notion of um, the casual hug or the familial hug was pretty alien. I mean, we were we were a fairly formal family. We would shake hands. Even with my father, I would shake hands with him, and that would be it. And so we spent decades learning to be a bit more tactile, and now it's all been thrown away. My goodness. Yeah. We're all going to have to learn to be French again.
0: I know. I'm looking forward to those days. I don't remember the last time I hugged someone, or, <laughs> or even, you know, crazily went out somewhere. Um, <laughs> the funeral homes.
1: Don't worry about that phone. That's that's, uh, okay. that's an emergency line for my wife, so she'll have to answer it. <laughs>
0: um, I think. I see these countries, so to speak, like Brazil, and they just have, they're just digging holes left, right, and center. There's there's not a, a funeral, there's not a celebration. It's just, they can't get buried, people buried fast enough.
1: Well, I don't think it was just in Brazil. I mean, I think at its peak in the UK, that was pretty much what was happening. I mean, it was a bit more dignified excuse me, and a bit more under control. But you need those terrible pictures early on in the pandemic from New York, the aerial shots of of mass burials and these yeah. terrible pictures of trucks, refrigerated trucks lined up, were very disturbing indeed. And, I mean, I, I really hope that we haven't blunted uh, our perceptions of death and, and that we, we're not left with a much... You know, we're not left with a more casual attitude towards it, and I fear we are to some extent. Uh, there was a survey of uh, undertaken undertaken by funeral homes uh, recently, and in in the very first part of 2020, when the um, pandemic hit, people were saying, "Well, once this is over, we'll have a proper memorial service. We'll we'll organise something, and then we'll remember our loved ones properly." But this survey showed that folk were now saying no, we'll just go on with things. We'll just go on with things and we'll forget it. And it's like we're building up this residue of grief which we've never acknowledged and never dealt with. And I worry that that'll be something that we pay a price for in the future.
0: I definitely think we will be. Um, because, for example, even before the person passes away, we're sometimes unable to be holding their hand and talking to them while they are passing away. So even to be present in the moment, to be with your loved one, we're not able to do. So that's been taken away from us as well as the burial part. And if we postpone it, I don't think very few are actually going to actually proceed and and do it three, four or five years later.
1: No, no, absolutely. And I mean, that business of saying farewell to somebody, somebody who you know is going to die, um, for example my my own father is is 90 and very unwell and we're we're concerned for his health obviously but the family is scattered throughout europe so right. my my sister is in France and for her to come back um it's very difficult wow. because she'd have to go into quarantine for two weeks I'm in the Shetland islands which is you know four or five hundred miles away from where he lives so actually getting back is every time you see him it's like well is this the last time and all the rest of it and it, it, all that pressure goes on to the relationship and you, you know you're continually wondering and it, it it affects every aspect of your life concern for that kind of thing so it's not just planning for funerals it is thinking about death and uh, and all the rest of it. it can be it can be an overwhelming thing
0: well and experiencing it for those loved ones around us that especially when it's unexpected like with covid it All of a sudden the person's in ICU and then passes away, or that they don't even make it to the hospital. Um, I mean, these are experiences that we're all coming across now. And with the variances of the COVID, this has just added a whole other level to it when we thought we were going to get it under control. And now it just continues in a different aspect. Um, Yeah, I
1: don't know know what things are like in Canada, but at the moment in in the UK, the vaccination program in the UK has been fantastic. It's been very, very swiftly and efficiently carried out. I've been double vaccinated at the age of 65. I can't even remember my own age. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, um, that has been remarkable, but we're all bracing ourselves for another wave of these, as you say, variants. And we're already seeing what that's doing in Europe. It's something which you sometimes feel we're never going to see the end of. And and in some ways, we aren't. Our lives have been irrevocably changed by this.
0: And I hope that people are thinking more about death in a positive way, about getting better prepared, um, because we need to be better prepared for sickness. Did that ever come in cross your mind when you had your heart attacks that you know maybe my life isn't organized did that
1: oh yeah, absolutely I mean I think when you're young you know you feel you're immortal to a certain extent I mean when I was much younger I'm, I was involved in uh, the music industry and uh, you know people were prepared to what was it that somebody once said about Bob Dylan not so much burning the candle at both ends as holding a blowtorch in the middle and I mean <laughs> you know, smoking, drinking, doing other stuff, you know, it didn't matter because, let's face it, who wanted, to, uh, who wanted to live for a very long time? And then suddenly you find yourself age 60 thinking, I do actually want to live for a very long time and still have all my mental faculties, you know, and physical faculties for as long as possible. So you want to plan for these things and you want to think about your health, but you also have to acknowledge the fact that death is coming. One of the interesting things, just in the last 24 hours, Um, which uh, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but here in the UK, the death of uh, Prince Philip has overtaken everything. I mean, all the BBC channels were off air, apart from uh, stuff to do with the royal family. And uh, one of the pieces of information which came out from that is today is how his funeral will take place, which is going to be next Saturday. And it's going to be at Windsor. But he left detailed instructions for his funeral. I mean, as you would expect from the kind of person he was. And one of the interesting things, perhaps because I'm a bit of a petrol head myself, is that his funeral cortege, the vehicle carrying him will be a Land Rover, especially adapted Land Rover, uh, because he was involved in designing the very first Land Rover. Oh, and nice. I, mean, I think that's lovely, actually. And, and rather yeah. wonderful and an example for all of us in terms of planning.
0: Well, you know, I I hope it sounds like he was very organized. Um, I would think that anyone who's 99 should be organized, but they're not. Because <laughs> I, I know, I've had so many clients call me and they're, lo- you know, sitting beside their loved mom or dad or aunt or uncle and they're saying, Tina, um, I'm trying to get out where their bank accounts are or where their key is for the sheds or garages or whatever. And they're not wanting to tell me. You know? And <laughs> I said, well, it's because it's too late. You haven't prepared. You haven't, yeah. you haven't completed my worksheet to start with, but you, you haven't asked them when they weren't sick.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that is something which in the digital age um, is really, really important because it's not just keys for the shed. It's passwords that get into bank accounts. It's Facebook logins. It's all sorts of things which you need to know as a relative. Otherwise, not only could it be embarrassing and and difficult, but it could be financially ruinous. I recently was uh, hacked Uh, My Facebook account was hacked. And before I knew it, somebody was trying to sell T-shirts using my Facebook ads account. Uh, I mean, it could have cost a fortune. Uh, Fortunately, we managed to stop it, nip it in the bud. But that's the kind of thing that can happen. You can imagine that, you know, when you're grieving for somebody, the last thing you want to do is mess about trying to alter online, um, online profiles. But if you don't, it could be very costly.
0: Well, and people don't realize the digital component now isn't just social media either. It might be a blog that you do every month or every week or whatever that might be, and you want to transfer that to a family member to continue.
1: Or that, or your yeah, eBay or, account.
0: Yeah. Or your or, Amazon
1: account. All that stuff.
0: Or your airline air miles or your reward points or um, Xbox or casino dollars or whatever it is now in the digital world. There's so, so many Absolutely. and it's all up in here in people's heads and they're not sharing it with those around them. So it's going to become difficult if they're ever unable to speak or unavailable. They, it, we won't know. We, there's going to be unclaimed money right now for un- unclaimed bank accounts and properties has increased every single year it's very very high in the uk and scotland it's very high in canada and the united states i'm not sure which one is overriding the other but without you knowing what your relatives bank accounts are there could be money sitting there that people don't always just have one bank account they
1: could have. And you'll know all about this insurance policies as well and all that sort of thing. Things that might be coming to fruition and are worth a lot of money.
0: Well insurance companies the biggest money making for them is unclaimed life insurance policies.
1: Really? That's remarkable isn't it?
0: Because the people have paid for it all along and then the people that are left don't know that they have one. So they never claim for it. And so, yeah, it's,
1: I always suspected insurance companies, Tina.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. That, that and funeral homes, the two things that people taboos don't want to, people don't want (laughs) to talk about (laughs) Um, what um, I, I know I saw your show on the reality on the global channel. Um, I should, put it down below as well in the description box for people to see your burial grounds and everything. It was it was really a great show that you, you did a clip for. Um, and we've had so many losses in our lives. And I just wanted you to come on and give us some understanding of what you've gone through and your book and how you can get more people to understand the importance?
1: Well, I think it's important. Obviously, the book is highly personal and it's about my sense of loss as well and about the relatives that I've lost and the difficulties that I had in dealing, certainly as a very young man, with things like the loss of my mother and grandparents and the funeral services, which were... Intensely religious, because I was brought up in a very religious um, background and community. Um, So actually dealing with these losses, um, I've come to realise, is helped by the way that people say goodbye and how we say goodbye. I mean, just think of it in terms of how you say goodbye to a loved one who's alive, you know, you see them to the door. You open that door, you ask, you you usher them through, and you wave as they say goodbye. You have a sense of farewell, of parting. And I think when it comes to something as absolutely permanent, which of course it is, as death, that parting, that saying goodbye has to be formal, it has to be respectful, it has to be something which you take time over. The idea that you hurry it away. And I, I have had, you know, one or two dealings with people who just were saying, well, just let's get it over with. We'll just don't even bother with a big eulogy. We'll just put them in the coffin and we'll send them off. And it, it, if somebody's been cremated here, there's no crematorium in Shetland. So they have to be sent by boat to, to Aberdeen. And I think that's something out of sight, out of mind. That attitude is not good. And it stores up trouble for the future. So if I've learned anything, it's that let's take the time to say our farewells properly. Let's measure it and think about it and invest that emotion. And don't be scared of the emotion that you have to invest in it.
0: Well, people are. It's fear-based, I guess. Um, They're fearful of bringing those emotions up and out. Um, That's really what it's all about. Um, But also, have you come across anybody which I have before the people pass away, is the family fights and arguments with each other. Was there? Did you have any during the funeral parts of itself?
1: Well, um, there are moments where people obviously disagree. And I mean, again, this is something where if the person who, if you plan for your own death, it, you can sort out you can navigate your way through that or uh, particularly if you're aware that they're going to be trouble there is going to be trouble particularly in my situation you sometimes get very religious members of the family who totally resent the fact that the father or grandfather or mother uh, didn't want a religious funeral and so sometimes people will say things like oh Um, he would have loved that hymn. And somebody will say, are you mad? He'll never want a hymn like that. And then (laughs) you sometimes get situations where, I mean, the the biggest, not the biggest, but one of the problems with traditional funeral services is the presence of alcohol. And uh, (laughs) that can lead to some fairly outrageous scenes, particularly around the graveside, uh, fights over, you know, almost physical fights over who gets to be a pallbearer and things like that. So, but you can't legislate for that. And in some ways, that's the that's that that's what makes a funeral memorable. Uh, you know, if the police if the police aren't called, that's probably a good thing. Yeah,
0: probably, <laughs> or the ambulance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they used to say that there's a particular area in Inverness, which is a city in the Highlands in in uh, Scotland. And there's an area there called the ferry, which is probably, probably now very genteel and all the rest of it. But they used to say that if a wedding took place in the well, a wedding or a funeral took place in the ferry, and the police, the fire, and the ambulance weren't called, then it wasn't a very good one. Oh,
0: <laughs> that's good. That's a good uh, analogy for that, boy. Boy, you know. I've, I've seen it where people fight over a watch or a cup and saucer or it, it's it's crazy. And it's usually about, no, they wanted this. No, they wanted that. No, they wanted this. And, and that could all be fixed if people would just get better organized.
1: Yeah, well, that's well, where, particularly in things that, you know, if it's a question of inheritance, that's where a will comes in. You don't want battles over teacups and saucers or, you know, fur coats.
0: Yes, exactly. Which uh, is very hard to get rid of these days as a fur coat. Um,
1: <laughs> well, it could be a fake fur coat.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I wanted to um, ask you for one of your jokes that you're so good at. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't heard one lately. So.
1: Oh no. I'm very bad at jokes I did tell a joke in the in uh, uh, actually if I've got the time I will tell the full version of the joke that I told on the Global News Network which was heavily edited in fact I'll see if I can remember it because I'm hopeless at formal jokes as well but basically it's, uh, it's about uh, a, a woman who's been widowed and uh, comes into the uh, funeral parlour to discuss arrangements with the undertaker and the undertaker says to her, you know, it's it's mostly the case that, as well as all the, the straightforward practical burial arrangements, that you take a, a funeral notice in the local newspaper. And she says, OK, that sounds like a great idea. And she, he says, well, you know, it, it's a question of paying by the word. The longer the funeral notice, obviously, the more expensive it'll be. And she thinks for a bit, and she says, that's fine, that's fine. Just put a notice in saying, Frank dead. (laughs) And the undertaker looks at her, and and, because he knew Frank. You know, he was a pal. They used to go fishing together. And says to her, you know, I think that's a bit curt. That's a bit harsh, even. It might be perceived as that you're being a little bit callous. It should be a bit longer. Why don't you say thank you to his friends or, you know, talk about his fishing because he was such a great fisherman. And, and you know, he and I used to love going fishing together and all the rest of it. And, you know, they, we used to go out in the boat and it was great. And So she says, yeah, okay. And she thinks for a bit. And then she goes, we'll just change it to Frank Dead, boat for sale. <laughs> That's the best I can do, I'm afraid. Yeah.
0: That is so Scottish. Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> I think we've got a lot in common, the Canadians and the Scots, though.
0: Oh yes. Oh yes. That is priceless, actually. Priceless. Um what about your daughter? Did she uh you tell sort of a story about how she did she save you with your heart attack? Or well, like... not,
1: once, not once, but twice.
0: Oh uh, my.
1: Well, my daughter's a... My daughter's a doctor, and uh, uh, as well as her mother being a doctor, um, as it happens, she was at home. She's actually currently um, working in a COVID intensive care unit. Um, mm-hmm. But um, on the on the two occasions when I had my heart attacks, she happened to be at home here in Shetland on holiday, and on both those occasions, she accompanied me in the uh, air ambulance down south to Aberdeen, for which I am and always will be eternally grateful. I'm just looking out the window. It's quite remarkable. I wish I could show you this, but we are now in the middle of a blizzard. Oh, no. In April, On April the 10th in Scotland, which is unheard of, really.
0: That's crazy. I don't know, I
1: don't know. We'll be sledging in a minute.
0: Oh, my. I have to get the shovel out just when you we thought do you have da- daffodils and everything coming up? The too? daffodils
1: have been ruined. My wife is going crazy because we had a lovely selection of daffodils, and they were all out, and they've all just, they've all just withered. Well, also <laughs> I should say that um, this snow has been accompanied by gale force winds, so it's not been a it's not been a pleasant few days. But a, a real point. storm. It's interesting weather, as they say.
0: Ah. The poor animals too, because they thought it was Yeah, the lambing,
1: the lambing is underway here too for the sheep because this place is infested with sheep. Yeah. So we've got that to worry about.
0: Oh dear. Um, how did you what would you like to say to the listeners out there with regards to your last kind of comments or tips or something from your books or what would you like to say?
1: Well, I I think the the title of this podcast is really the crucial thing, that this is not a taboo, that nothing bad is going to happen to you by talking or thinking about it. Before COVID, before COVID and the pandemic, the death positive movement was gaining a lot of ground. And in fact, the book was, my book, It told for Thee, was commissioned as part of that. Before we had any inkling that we were going to spend a year or more in various kinds of lockdown. So getting over that notion, the fact that it might be unlucky, the fact that you're tempting fate in some way, is absolutely crucial. But what I sense happening now, at this stage, as we're beginning to see perhaps a little bit of light at the end of the pandemic, is that people don't want to talk about death suddenly at all. That there's a there's a revulsion against it that people are just wanting happy things, and we're seeing that in the reaction to Prince Philip's death. I think people are saying because the the BBC this morning uh, and all music channels they had obviously issued a rule that DJs had to play somber music. Wow! Oh. You know there was no happy sounds, nothing up tempo at all, and people were saying we don't want to hear this. We've had enough of all that stuff. We want happy stuff now. But I think that is a, you know, it's A, a bit early to say that, and B, if we, if we ignore the fact that we've got this to deal with, then we're really storing up trouble for ourselves.
0: I, I, real, I know that, I mean, because we're a Commonwealth country, um, we ha- I think we have about a, a two-hour special on Prince Philip um, on our TV show today on the TV. Um, so yeah, it's widely broadcasted around. Um,
1: yeah, you have people. a two hour special, we have a 24 hour a day, 60 minutes in every hour special on every channel. Oh, so it's my. quite remarkable actually.
0: Wow, he was a remarkable man though. Um, and I really don't know how he made it through the last hospital visit that he had. I mean, he he didn't look very well.
1: No, and I mean having stents as he had at that age, is, and stents of how I was treated for my heart condition uh, must have been incredibly debilitating. Yeah, I think it, what many of us though are, are affected. I don't know if you if you've seen the series The Crown, uh, yes. on Netflix. Um, I think many of our perceptions of Prince Philip have been affected by that. Which uh, <laughs> it must be a very must have been a very strange experience for him to be fictionalized in that way.
0: Yes, all of them, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, I want to really thank you for coming on. I would love to have you come on again, maybe in another few months, and talk about maybe the changes that you've seen or any occurrences that are different. Um, But thank you so very much, Tom, for coming on and expressing all of your information and knowledge to to our listeners. It's very impactful. It is for me anyways.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me, Tina. It's been a real pleasure and it's always nice to uh, be in touch with folk in Canada and around the world.
0: Absolutely. Um, And for our listeners out there, um, we do have a lot of American listeners. And so, you know, everything that we've talked about, is just the same in every other country. It's getting prepared for the unexpected. Absolutely. So um, I'd like to thank all my listeners for coming out today and having a topic today about talking about the taboo around death. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be death. It could be sickness, but we should be better prepared for the unexpected um, because you will wonder how to be prepared. And that's where your backup plan app. And the Emerging Blueprint will be guiding you through all of those storms in your life. Um, As you can see, Tom's had two storms in his life, and we're all going to have storms of some sort, some small, some large, some extremely painful. Um, But it could be a wildfire, it could be a flood, it could be a tornado, it could be Losing your purse or your wallet, even that, can be quite an emergency. Or someone hacking your account, like Tom was mentioning. It's, it's a type of an emergency that's important um, to overcome. And it's all of those storms that we need to be better prepared for. Um, Brene Brown says, everyone has a story that will bring you to your knees and be the survival guide for someone else. And what will your story be? And that's really what Tom has brought to all of us. So many different stories and a real survival guide. If you listen to Tom listeners, he can explain. He's been through it. He's talked to and created so many celebrants of life. Um, They can be happy. They can be sad. But it's all up to you to be better prepared. So I always end, I hope that there's been a lesson of being prepared for the unexpected to to you. I hope that you've gotten some inspiration or some tips from us today. Um, I'm so thankful for having Tom come on to our show today and that uh, all of you are here listening. Um, I want to thank you for coming out. I always end with Carol Burnett because she was very dear to my heart and to many hearts. And it brings happiness to all of us, which we'd like to have during these times. I'm so glad we had this time together, just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, comes a time we have to say so long. So thank you, listeners. Thank you, Tom, for coming on today. Thank you so very much. Thank you, everyone. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. Stay safe, wear a mask, and um, love you all. Bye for now.